You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carl Stebbings and Matt Smith. Well, hello and welcome to episode 153 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. My name's Neville Bounds and sitting in for Carl Stebbings this week, who's out on a bit of a jolly. And uh, so I'm hosting the show along with my colleague, Matt Smith. Well, hello there. Yes, this is all a bit weird, isn't it? We're, uh, <laughs> we've got a lot of technology going on today because we've got three different, get- three different people and they're all in different studios and... Um, well, I like to have something to do, don't I? <laughs> yes, absolutely. What's and the worst uh, yeah, the uh, chat room is filling up nicely. Uh, lots of people in there as well. So thanks very much, Anita, for, for joining. And uh, in addition to Matt and myself, uh, we also have a another special guest, and uh, he's on the uh, remote uh, on the Skype, and that's uh, Stuart Backer. Hello, Stuart. Hi, Nev. Hi, Matt. And um, Hi, everyone in the chat room and uh, on this podcast. Um, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's really an honor uh, to join you guys on your show. Oh, no, an absolute pleasure. And, uh, of course, uh, you're here to um, uh, not only uh, to sort of give, perhaps give us some background to these great segments you've been sending us this week uh, over the last few weeks. We've got the third part to, to play out in uh, a little while. But, of course, you were involved in a certain Lelystadt meetup along with the, our host for this evening, Mr. Bounds. Yep, that's right. It was uh, the meetup uh, last week on uh, Saturday with, um, uh, I think it, we were with uh, nine uh, aviation uh, enthusiasts and uh, podcast lovers. Oh, wow. And uh, we had a great time at uh, the Aviation Museum in uh, Lelystad, the Aviodrome. Cool. That is very good. Cool. Yeah, it was very good, wasn't it? And uh, as good as it was, it was very tiring as well. Uh, I was very, um, <laughs> very tired at the end of the day. I guess you, you guys yeah. were as well, because we'd all travelled quite a long way. Um, but uh, it was very uh, much worth it. And when the fog cleared, the uh, the weather was fantastic, wasn't it, uh, Stuart? It was really, really good. Yeah, it, it, it was great. And, um, uh, yeah, I feel the same. Uh, when we had uh, the train trip uh, back to uh, Schiphol to uh, drop you and uh, Tillman off, I had... Um, I had this this sort of meltdown. It was, um, <laughs> yeah, um, the, the the tension was gone, and um, uh, I wasn't talk- very talkative uh, anymore. So, <laughs> I, I yeah, think... you, you know how it how it works. It was a it was a great uh, great afternoon and a great morning. Um, yeah, uh, I was the guy who uh, was in charge, and I organized uh, everything. And well, then you feel responsible, and mm, yeah. uh, when everything was okay, and we didn't miss the last bus, and we were quite sure that Nev would uh, not be late for his flight. No, of course, and, never, uh, never. <laughs> everything was okay with me. Well, I have <laughs> I've, got, I've got to say that Stuart is a very good organizer. He's very strict, and, and people <clears throat> that aren't complying or aren't doing as they're right. told or aren't keeping up, he, he makes sure that they do. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, cool, that's you, did a, you did a fine job there. So that is what I like much. to hear. Now, and of course, of course yeah. Nev, you'd actually spent the week previously actually um, in Amsterdam anyway. Uh, yeah, that was, for, for that the was slightly job. weird, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, um, I'd finished the exhibition on, on the Friday, then I flew home Friday evening mm. uh, just to fly back again the, the following Saturday. So wow. um, <laughs> it's a shame that the uh, the meetup couldn't be have been the, the day after I finished the exhibition, <laughs> yeah, but that's, yeah, absolutely. that's how it is sometimes. It so, uh, But um, yes, I'm applying for Dutch citizenship uh, shortly. Mm. So, right, um, okay. Well, yeah, you usually spend a lot of time there, so it seems, yes, that seems like a, a very worthwhile <laughs> but, thing um, to do. Yeah, so no, very enjoyable, though, and mm. we'll, we'll talk more about that later on, I'm sure. But, Indeed. Uh, yeah, yeah, really enjoyable. Yeah. Okay. Well, before we uh, we we'll move on and do the aviation, we'll get we'll get the commercial.
commercial side of things underway in just a moment. But before we get started, uh, uh, a regular uh, listener or watcher to the show, and I'm sure all our listeners will know immediately who I'm talking about when I say this, but the marvellous Matty Fab, as we all know, has been out doing all his, um, uh, out doing his night rating and all that kind of thing. And people who follow him may actually know he posted a charming little video uh, on, um, I think it was on YouTube and then on Facebook. And uh, it's such a lovely little thing because he basically took his family out for a quick jolly. Uh, so before we do the uh, the uh, commercial news. I'm just going to play a little 30 second video out for you. It's uh, it's just so nice uh, to watch. So here we go. Let's go to my way now. That's where you are, where? Yes. <laughs> oh, it's so cool. Uh, so you, you probably. Oh. That's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless him. So, yes, as I say, if you're watching the old YouTube, you can actually see the video. Quick half, it's still cloudy. I don't want to get too far away. This cloud's coming down quite quick. Oh, so yeah. So we'll make sure we put the uh, details of uh, of. Uh, he's got a sort of like twenty-two minute video. I think he, he put the whole thing uh, on there. But that's a little excerpt. It's just so sweet. It just it must he, be he does so... some nice video, does Matty? Does, actually, yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah. I've been following a lot a lot of it on his YouTube channel, and uh, yeah. it's really impressive. The the quality is really yeah. good, and um, yeah, it's really interesting to see all, all the stuff he's done. His, his journey. Uh, to where he is, I think it's uh, absolutely fascinating. Oh, it's brilliant! As, so, so as I say, I'll make sure I include um, a link to his YouTube page actually in our show notes um, uh, when I publish the the show for real. Um, and uh, as I say, do if you get a chance. He's actually published the entire um, the entire flight, um, and uh, for aviation enthusiasts like ourselves, uh, it is a brilliant little watch. It really is. It's include everything from takeoff to landing. Uh, I think I think the original plan was they were going to have a much longer flight, but because the weather wasn't fantastic, uh, it ended up just being a, a sort of short um, pleasure flight. But yeah, do make yourself do make sure that you uh, look up uh, Matty Fab uh, on YouTube and I'll put the links in. But uh, okay, I think I think we should get stop doing this now. How, how do you reckon we do a little bit of? Uh, God, you can tell I'm nervous, can't you? <laughs> yeah, you're not used to doing this. I'm not you? used so, to this um, at all. No, so, so I'll, I'll leave you. I'll leave you to do the, the uh, commercial yeah. section, Matt. Yes, yes, I'm I'm as ready as I'll ever be. And are you ready, Stuart? Uh, yes, I'm ready. Excellent. Then off we go. Well, the first uh, story this week, uh, there's been a lot of uh, bad weather around uh, the UK and uh, the European region this week, and uh, it's all about Storm Doris, and the uh, the first story is from the Express Online. And, uh, of course, it's, it's my pet hate, isn't it? It's, it's the bit where the media exaggerate everything. And this I don't is know what you mean. And this is perfect story for it. <laughs> and uh, it says, watch, Storm Doris causes mid-air emergency as plane is forced to abort landing. Uppercase there. Indeed. Storm Doris has forced an Iceland <laughs> wow. airplane to abort its landing at Manchester Airport, and the whole hair-raising moment has been caught on video. Well, it I'm is sure. the Daily Express. Let's not be too shocked at, at, <laughs> at the true, capital letters, it? bold, and goodness knows what else. <laughs> and it says that uh, passengers on board Iceland Air flight FI-440 had a terrifying experience when the plane came in to land at Manchester Airport. The commercial jet was on its way down to the runway when fierce winds from Storm Doris 
forced it to abort its landing. Video footage captured from the ground shows the moment the plane was forced to climb back up as it was battered around by the wild weather. The stomach-churning clip has been shared on Twitter with viewers... Uh, quick to react at the frightening experience. Now, look, you're, one, uh, now you're, uh, you're, you've, got, you've got some video. I have, well, yes, I now, and, and I'm going to play this out while I say this. Now, you're mocking this, but this is my idea of my worst nightmare as I play this out. It's like credit to, uh, I think it's Air Live Net is where I've got the clip from on this occasion. And um, it it don't look fun. I've got a lot. I mean, it's got the little sharklets on the end there, so, you know, it's as streamlined as it could possibly be, and they've basically aborted it. I mean, I... I, I seem to remember from our, our little group chat that we've got um, on the old Twitter there that uh, I, I think Captain Al had had a similar hair-raising experience over sort of Geneva way, I think, uh, when he was coming to... I, I just can't imagine... I mean, being a pilot is such a ridiculous job at the best of times, but what on uh, earth that could, must be like in weather like I that? Could I just say that that's a little wobble? Uh, no, no more right. than that. Is and, it? Um, okay. <laughs> a little wobble for who? I mean, I <laughs> <laughs> oh dear but what happens of course in these situations is is you do get a, a lot of uh, sudden change in, in wind direction and yeah. speed uh, and uh, of course uh, all these modern aircraft are fitted with uh, predicted wind shear mm. um, sensors and so if a wind shear is detected it is a mandatory go around uh, irrespective of oh, what the pilot, right. pilot thinks about it okay. so, um, as I say it, it's kind of if, if you've not had one before I mean I've had about Five or six, probably. Right. Okay. Um, but yeah, it, it's all well rehearsed and well practiced in, in the simulation. All the rest of it. You say so. that. I'm sorry. That's, that's so. I'm just watching that little clip there, and I, I, I'm clearly, clearly deep down, I am officially a Daily Express reader. Clearly, because I mean, I looked at that clip and just, you know, I, I was putting capital letters under everything that was that was coming out of my mouth uh, that, with the exclamation marks, expletives, and goodness knows what else. Uh, but uh, actually, you say that I was uh, doing doing a, a, a swimming contract um, for the company that I work for and uh, right in the middle of sort of what I call the, the height of it because round in this area sort of about between about two o'clock was when the, the weather was as, the wind was at its worst sorry and uh, as I was approaching this roundabout and, that, and I lit there was a, a single mattress basically that just flew straight across the road in, in front of me I mean there's no one on it but uh, it was just uh, yes. it's one of the most terrifying things I mean it's just like and of course all, all the kids go ah you know, because they can see something goes flying across the front there. So, well, actually, of course, the, the real story is that <clears throat> it's probably far more dangerous uh, on, on the ground to be hit by something well, that's uh, yes. you know going down the road or yeah. fence panelling on that kind of stuff, rather than being on the plane. Um, uh, well, but, and uh, that is true. And of course, we've had um, a couple of uh, terrible uh, cases here in, in the UK, haven't we? Uh, a lady, um, I think, it was something came off, fell off Starbucks or something, wasn't it? In the, yeah. in the strong winds and, and sort of. You know, there have been some fatalities as a result. And I know, uh, obviously, in bus, bus circles uh, over sort of yeah. Cambridge Way, um, the X1 got blown oh, yeah, over, a double-decker right, yeah. got blown yeah. over. So uh, Now, also, I realise that I'm, I'm making light of all this, and, yeah. and it doesn't affect me in the slightest because I'm, I'm a seasoned flyer. But yeah. for yeah, people you're not that, scared uh, easily, you know, aren't that's used to it or <laughs> have not been uh, flying very much, um, it is a... Um, not a frightening experience, but a scary experience. But I think yeah. as long as the crew do a good PA um, and keep, uh, keep everyone yeah, informed, less, less mm -hmm. little explanation about what's going on. Yeah. Um, I, you know, they, they keep everybody on side, basically. Well, but yeah, I, I do concede that for some people, it, it's yeah. not, uh, not 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 the best afternoon's work. AKA me. Oh, and these yeah. uh, these articles, they don't help, uh, do they? No, this is uh, just making <laughs> making people afraid, and people who are already anxious to fly. Yes. As they say, yeah. well. Um, 
I'll check the weather before yes. I uh, book my yeah. tickets. It's, yes. It's, yes. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it well, doesn't help. No, it doesn't. And, and as I say, and, and of course, they're pandering to people like me who are a little bit nervous about flying full stop, aren't they? So, you know, yeah. it's, it's, you, yeah. you, you can't really win, but, can you? But hey, it's, uh, it sells copies. It's... Uh, it's well, fascinating. This is true, and if it is in either the Daily Mail or the Daily Express, it must be true. That's what we normally say. Absolutely. So, um, yes, we're going to move on then to the next story. Uh, and as uh, I, Carlos, as you can probably tell, did pick all the stories, which means story two, surprise, surprise, is one of its usual ones. This is in the Telegraph this time, and it's in the business section. And the headline is, Ryanair urges government not to scupper aviation industry in Brexit talks. So budget airline Ryanair has urged the government to secure agreements which mimic those allowing barrier-free travel between the UK and the EU. The Irish carrier is said it transports roughly 40% of approximately 25.3 million European tourists who come to the UK from the continent. And it would be crucial for the government to ensure agreements are in place now which allow carriers to freely fly between the UK and mainland Europe. Uh, they uh, were replicated in entirely by the time that the country exits the block um, of course they they are only uh, they're only exiting really from a from a sort of financial point of view really aren't they i mean I, yeah. I, I, it's, it's again it's more scaremongering isn't it but anyway leaving the eu without such an agreement could cause difficulties for airlines and Ryanair urged the government to focus an aviation agreement as a key priority. The uncertainty of Brexit has already led to the airline uh, cooling its UK growth plans for its financial year to the 31st of March 2017. It is expected to have grown capacity by 15% but in its 2018 financial year this is only expected to be 6%. Our dream scenario would be that the government starts Brexit negotiations on the 1st of April and that week it outlines the streams of negotiations, Ryanair's Chief Marketing Officer Kenny Jacobs said. It would be even better if they put aviation first, then a month after that it announces an agreement which is exactly the same as the open skies, very rational and thought through. Nothing's ever thought through when it involves our government, I don't think. But anyway, there. So, Open Skies is in an agreement. Uh, Open Skies is an agreement between the EU and the US, uh, which the UK will potentially be outside of too if it leaves Europe without a replica of the deal. Ryanair is not known for its transatlantic flights. However, potential deals to feed passengers to Norwegian Air's long haul service could mean barrier free travel from the UK to the US becomes more important for the budget firm. The problem with the UK securing an identical agreement with the EU though is is complicated by the fact that other but that any other of the 27 member states could object or insist on certain conditions upon any new deal Ryanair may also have to apply for a UK air operating certificate or AOC if the UK exits the EU without a deal on aviation travel or consider closing its domestic UK routes Mr Jacobs said now I really cannot see that that's going to happen but anyway rival EasyJet has already said that it's in the process of applying for an AOC on the continent so that it's intra European flights are not hindered if an aviation agreement is not struck before the two-year Brexit deadline. This would protect roughly 30% of its network at that operates wholly between or within continental countries. And surely Ryanair can do something similar, can't they? I mean, if they're yeah. if they're that serious about um, you know that worried about Brexit, surely surely they they could be doing the same now, can't they? Same <coughs> as EasyJet. Yeah, I, I think they they they've done a very good. I mean, I, I'm not a Ryanair fan, as you know, but um, I. Can't cannot complain about the amount of um, 
connectivity that they've given themselves in Europe, uh, both from Ireland and, and from the UK airport. Mm. So, you know, this is a, a very experienced airline about doing deals. So I don't see a, a, a massive problem here. What, what do you think, uh, Stuart? Uh, no, no, this uh, this will sort itself out. And um, I don't think uh, the UK can uh, afford to lose uh, companies like Ryanair to do business with uh, the UK. And uh, um, I think this is this is all um, trying to get uh, to get a better deal with the government than um, the deals they had before. Yeah, I think they're just tub thumping a bit, aren't they? I think that's what that's what a lot of this is all about. Yep. You know, they're yeah, just and, trying to make and uh, searching for headlines. And uh, this is uh, free uh, promotional uh, well, uh, stuff. Yeah. And well, uh, yeah. everyone talks about Ryanair at the moment, so that's good for them. Well, absolutely. It's not like we don't know who they are. <laughs> no, no. But uh, I was uh, amazed by the the forty percent of mm. uh, of all uh, transports um, with the mainland uh, Europe. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, well, I mean, there's sort of. Uh, I mean, certainly from our point of view here in the UK. I mean, or from my point of view. Sorry. I mean, I, you know, I've been on on sort of holidays with with the bigger carriers, and I mean, I think my first ever flight was with a company called Air Two Thousand. I don't know how many years ago when we went to Greece. I think it was that we flew out there with. Um, I don't suppose they're going anymore, are they? Air Two Thousand. Uh, they got acquired by somebody else, and oh, okay. I think they're either part of the Thompson or the Tui right. group. I can't remember which mm. which one it is. Uh, no, yeah, but, never but, heard of them. No, okay, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> Say no more. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean that that was that was sort of the issue, really. As I say, really, when when people like like EasyJet and Ryanair came along, I mean, it it sort of opened up the market to, shall we say, you know, perhaps those who were was not quite so well off, uh, for want of a better word. I mean, so you know, it's. Uh, I wouldn't have done anywhere near as much flying if it hadn't been the likes of Ryanair and EasyJet. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Fair point. Indeed. Okay, uh, Stuart, are you ready with the next story? Yes. It's a story from uh, Down Under, and it's uh, it's not a nice uh, story. It's uh, it's about uh, the Melbourne plane crash. Mm. Five killed as an aircraft hits a shopping centre. And four U.S. citizens and an Australian pilot have died after their light plane crashed into a shopping centre in Melbourne, Australia. The charter flight appeared to have had a catastrophic engine failure shortly after taking off from the small Essendon airport, said the police. Despite the destruction, no one was killed or injured on the ground. And that's very positive, uh, I think. Mm, Absolutely. And then Victoria's uh, Premier uh, Daniel Andrews said it was the worst civilian aviation accident in the state in 30 years. And uh, today is a desperately sad day, he said. Uh, The Australian Transport Safety Bureau said it would investigate how the twin-engine Beechcraft B200 King Air crashed soon after uh, 0900 local time on Tuesday. The spokesman for, for Spotlight, a retailer of the complex, said that the plane crashed uh, into its rear warehouse, but all staff were safe. Um, do we want to talk about uh, the victims? Um, no, probably not. I think we just keep it fairly general um, on this occasion. It's, uh, I mean, it, it's we're covering it really because obviously it has made major headlines, and it was, uh, it, I mean, it was, I think it was Monday, wasn't it, where it actually, where the yeah. crash actually happened? I mean, it was all yeah very, for us. It was Monday. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So. Um, yeah, we're just covering it really because we feel we should, um, but we don't need to go into further detail. And that's very sad. And I dare say, uh, the reasons behind what exactly happened will will become clear, uh, it, you know, in time. So, 
Yeah, yeah, I think we will uh, get back to this uh, when the Australian Transport Safety Bureau um, has uh, drawn uh, their conclusions. Mm. Yeah. Also very fortunate as well that there weren't more people uh, injured and killed. I know a little bit about uh, that part of the world uh, when I've been to Melbourne a couple of times many years ago for the uh, for the Grand Prix. A friend of mine lives in Footscray, not, mm. not that far away from uh, Essendon. And, wow. uh, yeah, it's quite a built-up area, actually, so there could have been a, it could have been a lot, been a lot worse. worse. As yeah. bad as it was, it could have been even worse. Well, so, and of course, uh, in the, the, the time where the accident actually took, or the incident, I should say, because you never know whether it's an accident yeah. or whatever, but uh, the, the time that the incident took took place um, was of course um, uh, sort of the, the place wasn't open yet so I mean yeah. again it could have been yeah. a very different story if it had happened maybe an hour two hours later yeah, yeah totally indeed okay Nev I think you've got the next story yeah this is from the Sky News website and uh, more plane crashing so this is uh, comforting for Matt isn't it yes yes and, I, uh, uh, this has <laughs> been a great week for Matt and this <laughs> is uh, all about a fly B or fly maybe as I call yeah, stop uh, it pl- a plane crash uh, cr- crash landing at Schiphol airport mm. and uh, this happened the other day actually and uh, the weather was pretty bad there as it was here in the UK but uh, a plane flying from Edinburgh had been has been evacuated after crash landing at a Dutch airport I think that's a slight exaggeration, actually. But uh, it says uh, a passenger filmed out, filmed out of the window of the Fly B plane as its propellers scraped against the runway surface just after touchdown. And uh, other footage posted online shown the place, showed the plane's landing gear collapsing and the aircraft tilting to the right at the moment it landed. This happened on Thursday afternoon at Amsterdam Schiphol Airport place we all know quite well currently well, and uh, pictures on social media show the plane leaning on one side after coming to a halt with the wind wing touching the ground and emergency services at the state at the scene and Schiphol airport tweeted the landing gear of a flyby airplane uh, collapsed during touchdown all passengers have brought have been brought to the terminal by bus and nobody's injured and flights operations are up and running again it was flight be1284 which had left Edinburgh at uh, 10 past 2 in the afternoon and Flybe said we confirm there are no injuries and all passengers have been bussed to the airport terminal and our primary concern is for the welfare of the passengers and the crew and the company later said that all 59 passengers left the airport and continued on with their journeys. The firm said it intended to contact each of them to offer support. And a spokeswoman added, we have sent a specialist team to offer assistance to the investigation and we will now do all we can to understand the cause of the incident. And um, I think that this is uh, this was a, um, a Dash 8 and uh, this this plane has got a bit of history uh, of, uh, not this actual aircraft, but this, this make and model has got a lot of history of landing gear collapse Really? And, uh, in fact, with uh, Scandinavian Airlines, I think it was two or three uh, quite significant instances, and they actually ended up uh, taking the aircraft back and, and, and changing the aircraft for, for another model, as it, as it turned out. Indeed, but, and, um, and for, for the benefit of those that are watching, uh, or sorry, that are listening uh, to the audio podcast, I, while uh, Nev was reading that story out, I played out two uh, video clips. The second one particularly was interesting because it only collapsed, I noticed, on one side. So it only collapsed on the right-hand side as, as it sort of came into land. Um, so, um, yeah, as you say, if it's got a bit of a history there, I mean, really, then that's a bit worrying, yeah, and really, this, isn't it? All the SAS ones that I've seen as well, that, that it's been the same thing happening, just just, just collapsing, mm. collapsing on one side. I suppose that the fortunate thing is, obviously, turboprop aircraft, their the landing and takeoff speeds are uh, somewhat less than uh, jet yeah. 
transport and yeah. therefore it's going slightly slower but um yeah it's not ideal it's a bit of paperwork to fill out isn't it well but, i think um, it, yes, it's a little bit more than a bit yeah, of paperwork and of course i mean i dare say the propeller made a terrible mess of the runway um, yes, yeah. which um somebody's now got to sort of uh, I, don't, I don't know if they have to relay lay it or whether they can just dig up the bit that that um, got damaged. It's like filling in potholes, I suppose. Well, but, knowing, uh, knowing the Dutch being super efficient well, as they are, true. they yes. probably had it fixed by in, in time. Yes, probably team. by the so, end of uh, the day. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Take some photos yeah. so that the, you know, <laughs> God, shit. So as if uh, nothing has happened, yeah? Yeah, that's yes. absolutely, yeah. With, within four hours, it never happened. Not, yes. not like yeah. here where they have to close the road for two days while they take photographs and goodness knows what else. But, yes. Uh, but, I'm, uh, I'm very, very glad that uh, there were no uh, no injuries. Yes, um, yes, of course. But when I when I saw that video of the, of the prop uh, hitting uh, the runway, yeah. I thought, well, um, you don't want to think uh, about uh, things of those props uh, coming off and uh, mm. finding their way into the, the cockpit or the cabin. Well, no, that's, that true. Be, uh, that's true. Well, they're, they're obviously quite well. They're obviously designed, I suppose, to handle such things in the fact, as you say, because, I mean, the, the again, with the close-up footage that I played uh, earlier while Nev was talking, I mean, it, it, it ju- the, the, the propeller just sort of folds up. It doesn't sort of mm-hmm. collapse or anything. Like, it doesn't, as you say, it doesn't snap and have things pinging off. So, I mean, it, you know, it's, uh, the, the, it's obviously been thought about, if you like, as a, as a possible issue uh, in the fact that it's been well engineered to, to, to handle such things. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Mm. Okay, uh, right. Uh, my go then, I think, for the next story. Yes. And uh, this is on an, another quality newspaper here in the UK. This is the Sun newspaper. And great news for Nev, as, as he flies with this airline <laughs> fairly frequently. Uh, and the headline says, It's not Wheezy Jet. Uh, British Airways baggage handlers warned by bosses to stop urinating in plane holds over fears they will burn through the fuselage. Um, fortunately, my um, my tablet isn't allowing me to show the uh, pictures on the old uh, on the old YouTube stream, so it's perhaps not a bad thing given the photo that they've chosen. But anyway, baggage handlers working for British Airways have been warned to stop weeing in plane holds over fears they will burn through the fuselage. Staff have been ticked off for relieving themselves inside the massive holds of the Boeing 747s because they cannot be bothered to trek back to the airport building. Uh, so, assuming that's not just British Airways that, that that they're having a problem, if that is indeed occurring, urine is uh, highly corrosive, and engineers are said to have discovered several areas of flaking metalwork on the inside of planes. Although there is no suggestion that any aircraft were in danger, a BA source said basically the guys were taking a leak in the hold when they were caught short. As long as they're not peeing on my luggage, but anyway, there we are. Uh, you can understand it, they said. Um, uh, they are tucking, they are tucked away uh, in the holds of. Of these massive planes uh, and they need to go it can be a real trek back to the toilet facilities at the staff center and when you have to go you have to go eventually it emerged urine is quite corrosive and uh, there are there were some issues with some of the Boeing 747s uh, no plane was in any danger but staff were told to stop and use the proper facilities a British Airways spokesman said we have no record of this so essentially they're denying all knowledge of it so uh, yes it's a bit it's a bit of a funny one really isn't it? I, 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 you know, I, I, I'd have thought people. I don't know, really. Yeah, as I say, as long as they're it, nowhere near my that, luggage, as, that's um, my issue. Liz points out in the chat room. Uh, yeah. This is probably not uh, BA employees as such. It's probably a subcontractor yes, company. Absolutely. But, but nonetheless, the, the result is still the same. Yes, it? So, indeed. Uh, Somebody's uh, weighing on my suitcase. 
yeah. yeah. And um, <laughs> I don't know. Well, there's the thing is, in every walk of life, it doesn't matter whether it's aviation, your job, my job, yeah. Stuart's, it doesn't really matter. There's always things that go on behind the scenes that no one ever knows about until a journalist well, uh, no, gets, that's true. Get, gets yeah. hold of it. And then it's all, uh, all bad. But um, yeah, I mean, this is... Uh, Far from ideal. So. Uh, indeed, absolutely. Any any thoughts on this shoot? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just have to go, guys. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> I can't hold it any longer. No, indeed. Oh. He's going to go for a comfort break. He has, absolutely. Yeah. Indeed. But, yeah. um, <laughs> I, I don't know if, if it was in this article. I don't think it was in this article. It was another one. Um, someone mentioned that uh, those uh, baggage handling guys, they had to walk quite a long uh, way to... Um, to go to a toilet, and uh, that might be a contributing factor. Um, well, we, we say now that uh, those guys, they shouldn't do that, and of course that's true, but um, maybe there's a little bit more uh, going on there. Indeed, indeed. Mm. I, and we I, seem I, to have another co-presenter. We, we do appear, we appear to, yes, yeah, sorry, uh, the dog has just come to say hello, look, bless him, so this is Alfie. Oh, oh. He's actually oh. smiling at you, which is slightly embarrassing. I don't know why he does that. He just he just grins at people. This is <laughs> Alfie, by the way, everyone. He's here to do, is it, can I do my song now? Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> there we him. are, bless him. So, uh, so say, say hello, Alfie. Say hello. There we are. No? Okay, so Hi, Elfie. Yeah, he's quiet as he's been since I come home from work, to be fair. But anyway, sorry, I think I think the next story is... Uh, who's, who's goes it? Uh, Stuart's. Ah, yeah, it's, yeah, my, yeah, it's my turn again. Yeah, and another um, safety thing. Can we safely pack even more planes into our skies? And you're tired and stiff after a long flight and you, do, you can't wait to land. But then the captain says there'll be a delay because there aren't any planes landing. There aren't any landing slots available, so you circle the airport in a holding pattern for what seems to like what for what seems like ages. Uh, groans all around. Well, such annoyances may become a thing of the past if a new traffic, of a new air traffic management ATM system, works as well as promised. NATS, that's the UK's uh, air traffic control provider formerly known as the National Air Traffic Services, is rolling out a new 600 million pounds or 747 million dollar computer system known as iTech that could result in more flights, fewer delays and a cleaner airspace for all. Chief architect Simon Dakin describes it as one of the biggest transformations in the organization's 56 year history. The project should complete by 2020, he says. And managing the 22 million flights that cross the UK airspace, e airspace each year is complicated enough, but with that number forecast to uh, rise to 3 million by 2030, it became clear that the current system, which dates back 40 years, will need an overhaul, explains Mr. Dakin. Perhaps the most significant change, although travellers are unlikely to notice it, will be the abandonment of the network of invisible roads in the sky the routes which all aircraft currently follow. Now, air, uh, for now, air traffic controllers using predictive anal anal analytics software called iFact will be able to predict the path of aircraft as much as 18 minutes in advance, says Mr. Dakin. In effect, we can get uh, an earlier view of where congestion will be in the sky and tweak flight paths, which means less rerouting, he says. We can now slow traffic down en route so you don't get stuck in a holding pattern over London. 
Adding time management to the mix means controllers will be operating in four dimensions, not just the usual three of latitude, longitude and altitude. Then the European Space Agency satellite company Inmarsat uh, and others are also testing how this 4D air traffic management could help squeeze more planes into our sky, skies whilst also reducing congestion. And the article goes on about less fuel burn and mm. state-of-the-art technology. And it's a, I uh, mean, it's, it's a funny one, isn't it? I mean, it's, you know, at the end of the day, more and more, um, you know, more and more people want to fly. Um, there is this continuing argument. I know uh, we haven't actually covered the story, um, but I know, for example, there was protests in the, I think, was it Monday, Nev? I think, where yeah. there was a protests in in the uh the tunnel that you go to anybody who's been to heathrow will know that you go through a tunnel uh to get through to the like the middle of the airport and um people had sort of like parked up cars in the tunnel and sort of chained themselves to to their various cars and stuff i mean it's, it's you know it's uh, i must admit it's uh, it is something that crosses my mind is like you know as more and more people want to fly how you're going to cram yet more air traffic or if you like into an already very congested airspace especially in the uk i mean uh, there's a finite amount of runway space isn't there the, 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 almost doesn't matter what uh, what country it is what airport it is there, yeah. there's a finite finite amount what i have yeah. noticed though certainly at heathrow um as i'm flying in and out probably a couple of times a month now yeah. i've noticed that uh, the, the holding patterns have been certainly shorter and uh, maybe just once around the hold twice around the hold. really um, and that's uh, better than it's been for a, for a very long time, actually. Okay. So uh, the ATC guys are doing a very creative job of, of trying to make it all work as best they can. Very but they've efficient. only got a, yeah. a finite, finite amount of space yeah. to I mean, work with, of course. But lots of uh, things that this uh, article talks about, I think, uh, is already uh, in place uh, in, yeah. in, some, in one way or the other. Because, uh, Nev, uh, two weeks ago and last week when you came to the Netherlands... Um, well, uh, Schiphol was quite uh, fogged out, and uh, at least they mm. were running uh, low visibility operations. And right. I think for two times you were um, uh, delayed already at Heathrow. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you weren't allowed to take off and, uh, because of the to, weather. Um, yeah. to make well, the skies even the, more busy you know, here. So. All the traffic management, because um, frankly speaking, there's no point in having planes circling around, just burning fuel. Um, no. But uh, when we got a slot time, it normally means we we're probably going to be holding for 10 minutes at mm. Schiphol um, but it's all about the traffic management but uh, yeah, yeah it, it's it's going to be more and more of a problem and um, uh, it's a bit like lanes on a motorway isn't it it doesn't matter how many lanes you build mm. um, you're going to fill them up uh, at some point yeah and uh, it's already well saying well let's build another two lanes on one so of uh, the Europe's or, or, yeah. or one of uh, the UK's major motorways, yeah. uh, and it'll be filled up in, in no time at all. Yeah, so I mean, there's no is, real full answer to it, I don't think. I mean, is is the answer maybe using more rural airports? I mean, for example, I mean, there, there's been this big talk about, you know, which of the, the three London airports was going to get an extra runway and all that kind of thing. And I really was genuinely quite surprised that they didn't choose, say, somewhere like Stansted, where you haven't got... Um, the congestion, for example, for people trying to get to the airport uh, and things like that. I mean, and of course, it's mainly farmland around the majority of, of, of Stansted Airport. I mean, it's just, it, I mean, is that the solution maybe to sort of, I mean, does that help? Or I suppose, again, you, you've still got corridors and only certain corridors that aeroplanes can fly in and, and that kind of thing. Does, does that help yeah, congestion? I, I think the problem that the specifically the UK has is that all the major airports are southeast centric really so it's you know Luton, Gatwick, Heathrow, London City, Stansted, Southend 
Um, so there's a, a huge amount of traffic in one area. Whereas if you go up and down the country, obviously Manchester is a, a major airport, uh, Birmingham slightly less so, Glasgow and Edinburgh, Belfast, mm. but they're all a bit more spread out. Whereas uh, the London area, the London TMA is extremely congested yeah. and that, that's where the problems come. And sometimes when you get the fog coming in from the east, from, from your part of the world, uh, Matt, then yeah. um, that, that tends to, to spread into the London area and then it all yeah, kind true. of just grinds to a bit of a halt, unfortunately. So uh, with, uh, with um, air, airports, um, uh, obviously in Amsterdam, uh, shoot, I mean, is, is that, a, is, um, you know, do you have like one major airport or are there several sort of major airports, if you like, that, that handle the, those wanting to fly? No, at, uh, at the moment it is uh, mainly uh, Amsterdam uh, Schiphol or Amsterdam Schiphol, as you guys call it. Yeah, okay. Um, that is the main airport, and yeah. um, uh, Rotterdam has uh, a few flights. It's, yeah. uh, it's much uh, smaller. Eindhoven uh, does a few uh, holiday trips, and uh, Groningen uh, and Maastricht as well, but that's not a lot. Um, well, uh, Schiphol is at its, uh, its uh, capacity, uh, and it has already five runways. Right. So um, there's a there's a big plan to um, uh, to make the the Lelystad airport a lot larger and right. uh, to extend the runway okay. so uh, the seven threes and the eight three twenties can, can get uh, land and take off there and uh, it is uh, to um, to do the the holiday uh, trips uh, not so much the the business uh, people and uh, the connecting flights because you need uh, uh, Schiphol for that. Uh, but uh, the the Ryanair's, I think, and the EasyJets. Um, but um, yeah, it, it has been uh, a huge discussion, also with uh, ideas of uh, of building uh, a few runways uh, in the North uh, Sea. Yeah. But yeah, that that's very very expensive. Yeah. I so bet. it's um, they have decided to uh, to make uh, Lelystad the the second uh, Schiphol. Right. Okay. I mean that's probably sensible, I suppose, because I mean Lelystad is uh, is quite a major major sort of city, isn't it? So it's sort of uh, you know, perhaps it's a good place for, for, for traffic to be moved to. Yeah, there's very, quite a very quite commutable space. as well it is from uh, uh, Amsterdam. Land, and, and, um, yeah, we have uh, Lelystad and Almere as uh, cities close by. But, um, well, if you want to build it uh, somewhere on land, then uh, I think that that part of the, the reclaimed land is uh, is the best uh, the best option. Mm. So it's it's very sensible. Yeah. Of course, the people living near Lelystad and people uh, who are living in uh, the approach and uh, uh, departure paths of uh, all the jets they are not happy but uh, mm. yeah uh, it is what it is you sorry it you, is what you it were is. saying you yeah. were saying Nev. sorry we we lost Oh, I was just saying that it, uh, Lelystad is very commutable from um, Amsterdam as well. Very good train service there. Um, so I, I think that that could be a very good option for uh, taking some of the, uh, as Stuart said, some of the holiday traffic out of uh, Schiphol. Mm. Uh, that would be a, yeah. a, a, a good yeah. plan, I think. Yeah, but I, I have to correct you there, uh, Nev. Uh, the train service was very okay. But the bus service is uh, is a disaster at the moment. There's hey. only one bus every every hour, so uh, that, I think that's probably, why I was if, so that, happy when that, that does Fabian become a, a more a serious big, airport, big, big, uh, Volkswagen uh, van. I, I would imagine. Yeah. Okay. Uh, right. Okay. I think we should move on then. Um, Yes, it's uh, this one's uh, one of my stories, and yep. it's from the National, from UAE, and uh, it says that uh, five international airlines, including Emirates and Etihad, could face unlimited fines in the UK after the country's aviation watchdog said that enforcement action would be taken against them for denying passengers compensation for delayed flights. The Civil Aviation Authority estimates more than 200,000 passengers a year travelling on the two UAE carriers 
American Airlines, Singapore Airlines and Turkish Airlines, which are also facing action, could be at risk of missing connecting flights due to delays. British authorities said that the airlines have breached EU consumer law after a review of airline policies. And according to the CAA's data, Emirates was the most complained about airline for the non-payment of compensation for missed connection flights. However, Etihad described the CAA's decision to blame the airline in public as unprofessional and unacceptable. Etihad Airways has been engaged in constructive dialogue with the Civil Aviation Authority in the UK on the issue of compensation over several months, said a spokesman for Etihad. We take such matters very seriously and in no way look to breach the law. Therefore, before even completing the dialogue, we find that the CAA's approach wholly unprofessional and unacceptable to blame Etihad uh, for infringements to passengers' rights, which we unreservedly deny. And uh, following its own review, the airline said that it categorically uh, that it has not contravened the law and pledged to maintain dialogue with the CAA to make sure robust compensation policies were in place. And the CAA said that it decided to take action after repeated efforts to get airlines to change their policies. I think it's a, a, always a problem, isn't it? Getting compensation from an airline that has delayed uh, yeah. you. And of course, these the circumstances of, of, of delay can be all sorts of things, from, from yeah. technical to weather. And you could say that if the airlines can get out of paying you then they probably will but, uh, but i mean i think that's uh, the same with any industry though isn't it i mean if they yeah. can if if, if uh, any insurance of any description can get out of uh, paying you then they will and they'll find new and more creative ways of doing exactly that but uh, i guess that is the way that's you know that's why they make that's why they make money and we don't i suppose but <laughs> i think the other thing is when you've got connecting flights of course that's when it does go badly wrong isn't it so if you're going to you know um, or anywhere where you've got a connecting flight for something really important, a wedding, uh, could be a funeral or, or, or anything you know critical. Um, if you haven't, if yeah. you've missed that connection, you, it's not just a question of waiting an hour uh, to get the next one. It could be the next day, yeah. uh, or you know, if there's only three flights a week to that destination, it's quite catastrophic. So, yes. uh, so the uh, unintended consequences are, are uh, pretty real, aren't they? Yes, absolutely. Yes, I'm being mocked in the chat room, by the way, for my menagerie of animals that I have here at uh, at the studio here. As Liz Piper has just said, first fish, then a dog, now a cat. Matt has a menagerie of uh, various uh, goodies, absolutely. The, the cat is a little less friendly than the dog, and uh, mm. if I was to try and bring her directly on. So I, all I can do is that, look, if I just move the... There we are. If you're watching on YouTube, my ma. There we are. Yes, see, that's about as good as it gets, I'm afraid. Oh. So, yes, there we are. So, uh, but we'll go back to the fish tanks, Harry. That that was that was very popular. It made feel yes. made people feel very sick. Yeah. So it's uh, yeah, fish talking UK this week. Uh, yes. <laughs> what were we doing? I can't remember. Um, uh, yes, it's my and game. it's uh, your your one yes, is next, uh, Matt. I think. Yes, it is. Yeah, absolutely. This is on the Mail Online. Therefore, it must be true. Uh, and the headline is: Son of Concord gets the go ahead. Craft can uh, then uh, sorry craft that can go from london to, to new york in three hours will fly in 2021 at speeds of over 1200 miles an hour reveals airbus well this is very exciting so the world's first private supersonic jet could take off in as little as six years uh, regular listeners will know that we covered something similar to this uh, a while ago but we had no time frames back then the as2 plane will be capable of supersonic travel allowing passengers 
passengers to travel between London and New York in just three hours and Los Angeles to Tokyo in just six. Uh, Airbus and Arion say that they hope to choose a US manufacturing site for the jet during the first half of next year. If all goes to plan, test flights will take place in 2021 with the first commercial flights for businesses beginning in 2023. Uh, the Arion AS2 business jet will fly at a top speed of 1,217 miles per hour and that's 1,960 kilometers per hour for those that prefer that uh, which is almost as fast as Concorde um, which flew at 1,350 miles an hour or 2,170 kilometers per hour. The team has so far made initial designs for a carbon fiber wing structure uh, fuselage landing gear and a fuel system. Design features include wings which reduce overall drag by 20% allowing for lower fuel consumption and longer range and a luxurious 30 foot long cabin that will seat up to 12 passengers. Wow that's going to be one expensive flight isn't it? Uh, we see clear and achievable technical solutions to the design of a supersonic jet and a realistic road map for helping Arion proceed towards construction and flight said Airbus Senior Vice President Ken McKenzie. Airbus will provide all major components and Arion, a company backed by Texas-based billionaire uh, Robert Bass, will complete the final assembly. The companies say that they are now looking for a US production site which has a 100 acre or 40 hectare space located near runways at least 9,000 feet or 2,700 meters long according to Bloomberg, and, and I know I say this every time we come come up with a when we're reading a story that involves supersonic flight. I never really understood why a Concorde two wasn't almost ready to to sort of go online, if you like, when they decided that they were going to take uh, the original Concorde off. I understand why, you know, because of the age of the aircraft and and you know sort of you know hull issues and things. Same same presumably similar reasons to why the Vulcan eventually had to come out because you just couldn't get the bits for it essentially anymore, but or you couldn't find someone <coughs> who's willing to support it any longer. But I, I'm just amazed that supersonic travel. You know, we're we've got to wait till 2021 before somebody comes up with you know yeah, an equivalent. There, 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 there's so much wrong with this story it just right. oh I, I could oh. I could crush a nut well, do, I'm do. so close <laughs> really? um, steady not, Con- not, not in front Con- of the children Nev please uh, perhaps not but uh, <laughs> the, the, you know Concorde did carry 100 passengers yes um, this carries 12 12 yes uh, absolutely. It, it carried them at uh, Mach 2 and this does it at Mach 1.5 yes um, I mean the reason that, I mean there's many reasons why uh, th- there was no replacement for Concorde a lot of it political uh, right and uh, a lot of it not actually to do with the technology the, mm. the technology is kind of all there to, to do it but um, um, Airbus made a, a tactical and I believe a political decision yeah. uh, not to support the airframe any longer and therefore uh, uh, that suited Air France very nicely. It yeah. certainly didn't suit British Airways, but no. uh, at the end of the day, that that was it. So if that, they're not going to support it with parts and that kind then of thing. That's it. But I, I just really don't understand the purpose of this kind of aircraft carrying 12 people. That The last um, Concorde fare that I can remember, I think, was... Eight thousand five hundred pounds, or maybe nine thousand pounds, something like that. That was for based on you know based on a hundred people traveling supersonically. Mm. Goodness knows what the fare is going to be for, for twelve people. Um, I mean, it's all boasting. So it's all about you know, uh, you know uh, passenger numbers and, and cost uh, per mile per passenger. Well, and, and it's all boasting about you know sort of. Uh, 
you know, 30-foot-long fuselage, you know, for all, all these people that are on it. And he's, as you say, you, and it's boasting the fact that it's, uh, you know, 20% less drag because of, the, you know, the new design of the wings and all this kind of thing. But uh, you say 12 passengers, seriously? Mm. I mean, I, I, mean I, I can't even begin to comprehend, given how much more expensive a lot of things are. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's certainly not going to be £8,000, is it? Uh, no, I don't think it will. <laughs> no. And of course, the other thing is that, you know, Co- Concord, you know, was expensive on fuel. There's no question about that. And it, yeah. it came, uh, it, it was, it did actually, funnily enough, during a lot of its life, it did actually make um, British Airways an awful lot of money. It was, yeah. it was a very, so it was um, well and truly very well liked uh, aircraft. And uh, mm. I think that the problem now is that uh, obviously the, we, we're going back, aren't we? You know, we, we used to be able to do, um, you know, London to New York in uh, in three and a half hours, and yeah. now it's seven and a half hours. So it's it's hardly progress. Yeah. But uh, the um, I I I think this is extremely optimistic to think that they can seriously think they're going to get uh, this up and running by twenty twenty three. Is it? Um, yeah, twenty twenty three is its plan. I just well, test do, not, things, do yeah. not see it happening at all. Yeah, I think it'll happen. I just think it's only going to be available to, you know, the, the crazily rich and famous. Although Matty Fab has just said in the old chat room that uh, less weight equals less cost, possibly, Nev. So, I mean... Uh, I yes, that, that's, yeah. that's a fair point, Matt, absolutely. Um, but um, it's um, it's all about the commercial bit, mm. isn't it? I mean, yeah, I think the technical bit is, is kind of all there and, and we all get that. But uh, but if, if money wasn't an object to, to, to all three of us sat here uh, doing, doing mm. the show today, I'm quite sure we'd all quite like to fly on it if it was, you know, if money wasn't an object, I'm sure we'd all like to have a go. Yes. <laughs> maybe maybe not me, yep. personally. But, yeah, the know. first uh, few moments uh, when I saw this article, I thought, okay, yes, maybe I can fly supersonic. Yeah. Because I've never uh, flown on no, Concord. No, no. Um, but uh, then I realised, yes, it's, it's only uh, twelve passengers 12 and a business jet, yeah, so yes. that will yeah. that, that will never be in my price range. No, indeed. So, maybe no. maybe Pip will end up flying it one day. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, maybe he can uh, uh, take some of his uh, good old friends with him. Yes, you never. That know. would be nice. Yeah, absolutely. we can do a podcast from. Yeah, this it'll be day. fine. We'll do it from from the air. They'll love Wi-Fi, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it will be the first podcast at Mac uh, one point five. Mac one point five. That's a good point. There we are. That's a target for everyone. Uh, let's see if we can make that happen. Great. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, right on to the next story then, and uh, yep. I think that's, that's again, you, Stuart, isn't it? Yeah. It's about uh, Norwegian Air, and budget airline Norwegian Air launches um, 69 uh, uh, yeah, pounds flights from UK to New York. A budget airline has launched bargain flights from the UK to New York, costing just uh, 69 pounds. Low-cost carrier, uh, low-cost carrier Norwegian Air is offering passengers in Britain cheap rates to fly direct to three destinations in the US when it starts the new route from June this year. Although the routes do not run from London, the special price flights will be available from Edinburgh Airport as well as Belfast, um, Cork and Shannon and Dublin for uh, from as little as uh, uh, £69 one way. Wow, that is so cheap. That is very cheap. It is. Yeah, and um, well, just the, the idea that you can be on an airplane for five hours, six hours, yeah. 
to go uh, all across the Atlantic for just 69 pounds. That's uh, that's nothing. Yeah, I mean, and they've been they've been uh, sort of flirting with this idea for quite a while, haven't they? Where they, you know, they've been advertising the price, but they have now gone on sale, which is uh, yeah, very. But it uh, it gets even better, Matt. Yeah. And uh, the flights from the US to the UK are even cheaper with journeys starting at just uh, 52 pounds for the first one uh, 10,000 seats. That's fifty-two quid. Well, an introductory offer because sixty-nine pounds was too much money. I suppose. Yeah. I mean, just like crazy. Yeah, they, they were not uh, not at all sure if they would sell the seats. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, it's crazy. Oh, I, I mean, it's it's very exciting. It's, I mean, are they are they hoping to be sort of like the Ryanair of of sort of transatlantic travel? Is that what they're trying to pull off? Do you think? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's. Uh, uh, I don't think you get a free uh, sandwich, and I think you need to buy all your drinks. And I hope I think they they will get some revenue out of that. But mm. um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's dirt uh, cheap, as you guys say. I think. I, I I mean I do worry perhaps, and I'm sure Nev will uh, either agree or disagree with on this. I I do I do fear maybe some of the frills that we're rather used to on transatlantic travel may may perhaps not be there, like a meal. Uh. <laughs> yeah, and I think the other thing is that you know six, seven, eight hours on a plane, mm. um, you know, in cattle it, class, it, it, it does take it out of you. There, yeah. there, there's no, there's no question about it. You do need the, the the various amenities. I think trying to do a very low cost carrier version of uh, what has been the domain of you know the, the main uh, airlines for, for for many many years. I think Freddie Laker got close to it. I think Virgin got close to it. Certainly uh, in the old days, having very uh, inexpensive flights, but they did have uh, quite good you know onboard service yeah. as well. So um, it'll be interesting to see how this develops. But I, I think there probably is yeah. a requirement and a, a demand. For this kind of service definitely. well no i think that, that without doubt there is although mash has just said in the chat room yeah it's 69 pounds to go out there but it's 690 to come home <laughs> <laughs> which is probably right yes yeah. <laughs> absolutely oh dear okay uh, on to so, the next story then that's next, down to you next sir. one's uh, mine i think isn't it yeah, and that's uh, on the express online and it's all about air- airport security do this before you board to stay safe on your flight. Lots of uppercase there. So good, good. Lots important. of shouting. That's what I like. Uh, and uh, I think Carlos must have chosen all of this because the, the whole programme, although the show's been about airline safety and all the rest of it, which yes, is absolutely. Uh, probably not Because he likes to make me feel as uncomfortable as humanly possible whenever we're talking yes, about aeroplanes yeah, and flying. I know. <laughs> well, it says that airport security is, isn't the only safety check you need to make before your flight. There are so many items to remember when travelling, from what to pack to making sure that your travel documents are along for the ride. It's easy to get caught up in the last minute rush and forget certain things. One of the elements that often gets pushed down the priority list is your own personal safety. Though there is a mandatory airport security checkpoint, this is just one measure intended to keep you safe. There are several other ways for you to ensure that your flight is as smooth as possible. Uh, Director of JetCost.com, Fabio can't pronounce his surname, uh, has revealed to the Express a uh, travel advice security checklist you need before you fly so that you can stay well out of harm's way. Be ready for security. Take off what you need to take off, such as shoes, belts and coats. Have large gadgets out of the luggage ready to be scanned. Smartphones and handheld consoles are okay. It's laptops and the such that need to be removed. And be prepared for a full body search just in case. 
Know the guidance for specific items. Most liquid items in your hand luggage must be 100 millilitres or less, no more, except for items such as baby milk and baby food. Many passengers also don't realise that they can indeed take foods through security with them, such as fruit and solid foods, whilst foods in liquid aren't allowed at all. Passengers are also allowed to take one cigarette lighter through security with them, but only the one, and it must remain on their person at all times. Seriously? I didn't know that. No, I didn't, know. Get to know the prohibited list. Most of the items on the prohibited list are common sense, such as fireworks, vehicle fuel, really? and tear gas. Yeah, I often get stopped. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're often carrying tear gas, are you, Nev? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, uh, but uh, there are other items on the list, such as toy guns, if flying with children, for example, like Carlos, and party yeah. poppers, if flying as a hen or stag group, oh, dear. That, that many may not think are an issue when in fact they are. Mm. Well, I mean, obviously, there, there, there's you know a, a lot to uh, discuss there, isn't there? But um, yeah. I think a lot of it is common sense, and I, I think the airlines and, and the airports do seem to do a a pretty reasonable job of yeah, what is allowed and, and what isn't. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of the, a lot of the delays certainly at, at uh, security and things do tend to be because the person who is there with their suitcase and they've just opened it up hasn't been reading the information screens, the flyers, the you know the big uh, sort of like billboards and stuff as you walk through security, and and they've still got a prohibited item in their in, in their carry on. You know, I mean, it's just. You know that you 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 get exasperated at the fact that people just cannot read sometimes. I mean, it's it's it must be really frustrating. I, I dare say that in the Netherlands they're a lot more disciplined about such things. Yeah, uh, I don't know. No, what? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't. It's. Um... Uh, it's just, I, I, I've I, never never looked at that. No, I, I ju it just strikes me that everything in the Netherlands is in the similar way that w with uh, sort of like you know German airports, you assume that everything's very efficient. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, yeah, but I think uh, Nev has uh, a few stories about him uh, getting back to the UK oh, and uh, huge queues. Oh, so yeah, I, didn't, I don't I think, think we did a very I, good I, job. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, with I, I do not want to uh, diss the uh, Netherlands passport control at all obviously because oh. uh, i want to be able to come yeah, quite right yeah, enforced <laughs> regularly <laughs> uh, but yes. um i mean in terms of efficiency i've got to say skip all bearing in mind the size of the airport it is um, amongst the, the the best but of course you've got to remember you know that there are a lot of people that only fly once a year or maybe yeah, only true. fly once every three or four years when they no, can afford I, I know to that, but uh, there's for, so for a many... holiday so they may not be as bang up to date on all the security stuff as, as, as i might be or, but or that, anybody but else. See, so, i don't i don't do anywhere near as much flying as, as any of you guys i dare say but you know the first thing i do because i'm a little bit unsure about where i'm going and what i'm doing i'm reading all the information signs i I mean, they've got big TVs up there now, haven't they? With all the, yeah. you know, rolling information and videos about what isn't and isn't allowed, you know. And it's like the amount of people who get stopped, you know, in their in their toiletry sink because they've got something that's more than a hundred mils. And as Matty Fab says in the chat in, in the chat room here, it's usually that person who always seems to be in front of me at security. He says so. It's mm, like, very it's true. One of those things. Good point. Yeah, I, I I don't know. It's just I. I, I just we don't open our eyes these days, do we? We just sort of wander through blindly and, and hope for the best. But we need to stop doing that, really, don't we? Mm. But um, anyway, it's you know I think the let's face it, the security will only get uh, stricter. Tighter, you, yeah, you know, I think we're, we're we're living in the world that we are, and yeah. uh, there'll only be further restrictions on what we yeah. can do, uh, not Absolutely. not fewer. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Okay, on to the next story then, uh, and this is on the Times of India. 
um, website. I do, I do wonder where Carlos gets some of these stories from. Uh, anyway, stung passengers fly into a rage. Airline offloads two, not the mosquitoes. So uh, when a swarm of mosquitoes invaded a, uh, a, a, a I want to say Calcutta, possibly, bound flight at Patna Airport last Sunday, the airline ended up evicting two bona fide passengers instead of the uninvited guests. Till the Indigo plane landed at Patna Airport in from Lucknow at 6.05pm on February the 19th, the flight was uneventful and rather dull. Um... The action began as soon as the flight attendants opened the two doors for passengers who were to alight at Patna or board from there onto the next leg of their flight to Kolkata. Uh, according to a passenger on board the flight, uh, mosquitoes in hundreds rushed into the cabin and began biting with a vengeance. Uh, the invasion had flyers squirming in their seats, but two passengers were particularly agitated and voiced their protest. How can we travel with so many mosquitoes for an hour, fumed one? The other two uh, joined in with a few expletives when the flight attendants said that they could do little to help. The continued buzzing and bites from the invaders caused enough irritation to drive the two passengers into a rage, while other flyers were also in obvious discomfort. They were more eager uh, to... To reach Kolkata and hence willing to suffer the vectors um, during the flight, but not the incensed duo. The two flyers insisted that, mos that mosquitoes must be banished from the plane before it took off for the rest of the journey to Kolkata. Um, well, I mean, it's obviously just uh, just one of those things, isn't it? I mean, it's uh, can't have been very nice for everyone involved, though. No, it, no, it's not not ideal as well. These things happen, you know. Yeah, un unfortunately, absolutely. when you're um, you've got lots of different people all in the same place, it could be a train journey or bus journey or anything, couldn't mm. it? Really, and uh, you, something's going to happen. There's going to be an incident of some sort. Yes, but it is. Uh, this is uh, unusual, to say the least. Yeah. Well, no, um, I'm just. I, uh, Oh, go on, yeah. I'm just uh, very happy that those mosquitoes didn't find their way to the flight deck because uh, that would be very well. Yes, you uh, don't, you annoying don't want, for the pilots. You I don't. Think. You don't want distracted pilots, do you? Essentially, nope. who, who are under attack. That's that's not going to be the way forward, is it? <laughs> okay. Uh, right. Uh, Stuart, I think you're next. Yep. It's uh, from uh, CNN Money. And it's the best business class airline lounges around the world. Hey, this is one for Neff, I think. But <laughs> How rude. I'll, I'll read it. <laughs> With everything from top-notch restaurants to saunas, uh, these airline lounges, of lounges uh, strive to provide every possible comfort. Qatar Airlines uh, Al Mujan business lounge uh, took the top spot in Skytrax top 10 airline lounges based uh, oh, based in the Hamad International Airport. The lounge is designed with a resort, a resort feel in mind. High ceilings and bronze walls surround a 20-hour 20, 20 deli that offers travelers every kind of sandwich they can think of. Sandwiches not your thing. There is no shortage of food options. Uh, the lounge also boasts a luxurious a la carte restaurant where you can order everything from prime beef fillet steak to Indian butter chicken. Don't know what that is, but it sounds good. <laughs> it does. It's making me hungry. <laughs> and then um, after eating, relax in front of any of the numerous widescreen TVs spread throughout the lounge or drop into a game, a game room filled with arcade games and pool tables. 
So that is number one, I think. And there are <laughs> nine more to go. So. Oh, right. Okay, of course, this is it. Ah, sorry. I, I, I need so to So there's an opportunity for a, a, a countdown uh, from yeah. Tennis yeah. Okay, here we go then. So, so, uh, um, so if... if uh, oh, you see, you caught me unawares. You see, this yeah, we, we 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 did actually uh, yeah. rehearse this before we no, went on there, yeah, but it, so it we didn't go very well, that. did it? Yes, okay, hang yeah, on. But, but uh, I do remember an email from Carlos warning us. Yes, absolutely. About this uh, thing. Uh, none of us paid any attention to it. So, uh, uh, right, okay. So we're having to do it in slightly reverse order because there there are a couple of issues uh, with regard to uh, the way that the story's been written. Uh, so it's it, we we're not starting at number ten essentially, but we'll whiz our way through. But as you say, it does give me a new a new opportunity to do this. So would you like to start from number ten, or we're going to start from one? Where are we going to start from? We'll start from number one, I think. Fine. Okay. Fine. Well, number number one is uh, Qatar Airways, and uh, uh, with everything from top-notch restaurants to saunas, these airline lounges strive to provide every possible comfort. Ah, and at uh, number two. That would be you should. Number two is uh, <laughs> Turkish Airlines. Ah. Filled with everything from a, a library to a massage room, the Turkish Airlines Arrival Lounge in Istanbul has everything you could need to make your stay as relaxing as possible. If you want to get uh, in a little activity before your flight, you can always use the golf simulator or billiards, uh, or billiards room to get your blood pumping. Wow. Well, that's very, very exciting. Okay, and number three. Number three is Cathay Pacific. If you've never had a signature cocktail in a room gleaming with white marble, you may want to make your way to the Cathay Pacific Business Lounge in Hong Kong's International Airport. Once you are done with your drink, you can relax in one of their 23 spacious shower rooms. Ooh, that sounds very nice. At number four. And number four is... Virgin Atlantic. Virgin Atlantic. I when think, you sorry. are at the airport, yeah, it's um. It, uh, one moment. Are you experiencing audio problems as well? Uh, yeah, that's all right. It's it's cleared now. It's all good. It's clear now. Okay, okay. I'll start this one uh, yeah. again. Okay. Then. It's number four, Virgin Atlantic. When you are at the Virgin Atlantic clubhouse in London Heathrow Airport, you will probably forget that you are even travelling. With a range of dining options from a brasserie restaurant to an elaborate à la carte menu, uh, the clubhouse has everything you could ever want. And if you need uh, a last-minute haircut, manicure or massage, you can always just pop, pop on over to the lounge spa. If that isn't enough relaxation, uh, check out the jacuzzi. Ooh, very, very nice. Uh, and at number six... Uh, number five, actually, Matt. Oh, number but, five. Um, five, five, five. I, just because I, I, you see, I was following along. This is going really well, isn't it? We'll try that again. <laughs> number five, Singapore <laughs> Airlines, the Silver Chris Lounge, Singapore Airlines Premier Business Class Lounge in Singapore, is designed specifically to make customers feel like they are at home. With unique spaces modelled after living rooms, dining rooms, and kitchens, the Silver Chris Lounge prides itself on making customers comfortable. How do they do that? Just check out their extensive breakfast buffet and you'll understand. Loaded with all types of food and treats, customers at the Silver Chris Lounge never go hungry. Mm, sounds marvellous. And then should in at number six. Number six, Qantas Airways. Uh, to, bl to plug back in with the world after a long flight, Qantas Club members in Sydney can tune into QView, a new interactive 
interactive digital content experience that delivers news and personalized content straight to their smartphones. One of the biggest selling points of the launch is its lightning fast Wi-Fi speed over 12 megabits per second download, perfect for downloading movies and TV uh, shows for your next flight. If that isn't enough, customers can sit back and relax while watching some of, of the flat screen TVs scattered throughout the lounge. Wow, that sounds amazing. In at number seven, Etihad Airways, with facilities that make it seem like you're at a boutique hotel instead of an airport lounge, the Etihad Airways Premium Lounge in Abu Dhabi has everything you need. You can watch a movie, enjoy a gourmet meal, or have a range of spa treatment before continuing your journey. Mm, very nice and should. In at number eight. Ooh, problems here. Uh, Neff, can you do problem for number, oh, right. number yes, eight? Yes, I can, yeah. It's well, uh, Emirates, because, um, and uh, they load. truly know how to do luxury. Located in Dubai, the Emirates Business Class Lounge allows you to experience pure bliss with their exclusive Moet and Chandon Champagne Lounge. Accompanied by a selection of canapes created by Michelin star chefs, the gold-designed lounge is one of a kind. And if you want to skip the bubbly, you can always enjoy a variety of fresh uh, fruit, smoothies and superfoods at their newly designed health hub. Wow, very, very nice. Uh, in at number nine... Uh, go on, Ev. Okay. <laughs> oh, right. okay. Your internet is falling over. Number nine is uh, uh, Swiss Air. With a variety of lounges throughout the Zurich airport, Swiss Air wants to make sure their customers are as comfortable as possible. Bright, open workspaces filled with uh, leather recliners give business class members a chance to unwind from a day of travel while overlooking the gorgeous Swiss Alps from the terrace. And if you aren't in the mood to do work, you can always head to their Whiskey Club, which offers 120 whiskies. Oh, that sounds marvellous. And finally in at number 10. Number 10 is Eva Air, recognised by Skytrax as one of the only five-star five airlines in the world. Eva Air's... Tra uh, Airport lounges are world-renowned as, as, they, they as they are airplanes. Filled with a variety of unique cuisines from around the world, the Infinity Lounge in Taipei Airport has a modern and classic ambiance that can make even a routine traveller excited about flying. With futuristic decor and lots of fluorescent lighting, the Infinity takes modern to a whole new level. Well, there we are. So that is our first um, official uh, top 10, as you were, of 2017, of course, because uh, it's been a bit lacking, I suppose, because there hasn't really been, uh, I suppose it's the wrong time of the year for that sort of thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, where, yes. where was the uh, BA lounge and all that? Well, I, I don't know. Missed um, it out. Is, 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 well, I don't know. Let, let's ask the expert. Is it any good, Nev? Uh, well, it is, actually, but it's obviously not as good as these guys. <laughs> no, indeed, clearly, clearly. They are very good, but uh, these ones here uh, do take some beating, I would imagine, okay. absolutely. Indeed, so okay. you've been gathering points at the wrong airline, Nev. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, we'll start again. <laughs> that, that, that looks to be what the problem is, I think, absolutely. Yeah, okay, guys, what we're going to do then, um, he is our guest, obviously, but uh, we've got part three of uh, a little uh, uh, set of stories that Shurt has very kindly sent us. So whilst us here in the studio take a very brief break to recharge our glasses, then we're going to have part three. Uh, is there anything that you'd like to... Uh, part three, do you want to just introduce it for us, Shurt? Um, yeah, it's it's about uh, the McRobertson Air Race in uh, 1934, and if memory serves well, uh, we just arrived in Australia. It's uh, the race was from uh, London to Melbourne. Um, 
with uh, all sorts of planes, uh, some race planes and some, uh, well, coaches of the sky, as I call them. And uh, it is the, the last installment. Uh, we will hear all about the finish, but uh, not before something uh, very interesting uh, happens. Okay, so then. So let's hear it. Yeah, let's sit down then, guys. Here we go. Welcome to part three of this PTUK exclusive on the 1934 McPherson Robertson Air Race from London to Melbourne. In the previous episodes, we discussed the goal of the race and the several planes that competed. We left off with the first planes reaching Australia. First was the De Havilland Comet of Scott and Campbell Black, and second was the KLM Douglas DC-2, and third was the Boeing 247 Delta of Pangborn and Turner. Second stop in Australia was Cloncurry. Scott and Campbell Black are desperately tired and barely able to walk. The plane too is suffering from the long journey. It has crossed the Timor Sea on one engine and repairs at Darwin were in vain. Just imagine the pilots working the rudder hour after hour to compensate for the asymmetric power. They would continue the, ra the race on one engine. At Chauville the weather reports showed trouble up ahead. Charleville was one of the few stops in the race where you could stay as long as you wanted. Time spent at Charleville wasn't added to your race time, so there was no need to risk bad weather. Still, the crew of the KLM Douglas decided to go for it, and soon found itself in thick clouds and thunderstorms. And it was getting dark too. Navigation was mostly visual, so they got lost pretty quickly. They must have felt like the most stupid crew alive at that time. They decided to climb which caused ice to accumulate on the wings. Because of that, they lost lift, causing the plane to descend. So the plane got trapped between icing conditions above and mountains below. A pretty hairy situation. At the town of Albury below, journalist Clifton Mott hears an airplane. He and several others called in a radio station 3AR in Melbourne and informed them of the situation. They soon found out that it had to be the Douglas, and meanwhile the Douglas was flying great circles around Albury with the crew completely lost. Lionel Fares is the guy who was responsible for the city lighting at Albury. He receives a request from Clifton Mott to Morse signal the name of the town with the lights of the War Memorial Monument. He reckons that he can do better than that, so he uses the main switch to switch on and off all city lights to let the airplane know where it is. Unfortunately, at that moment, the Douglas isn't in range. Hopefully, it will be shortly. Another guy chimes in. It's Arthur Newenham, a reporter for a local radio station. He urged people to take their cars and go to the horse racetrack. That was the most suitable place to land for the Douglas. There, the cars would stand in line, as their headlights would be makeshift runway lighting. The Douglas circles and circles, looking for a hole in the clouds. At last there is a hole, and the crew sees tons of lights switching on and off. The navigator quickly realizes it is Morse code, so at least the crew knows where they are. Meanwhile, everyone who owns a car is on his way to the racetrack. It has stopped raining, and the weather is getting marginally better. The Douglas has been circling above Albury for so long, that the people of Albury know that the plane has picked up their signal. And they work extra hard to build two sort of straight lines, with the headlights of every moving vehicle the town possesses. The Douglas has two torches. The first one was an unsuccessful, but the second one allowed them to see the racetrack. The Douglas is running out of fuel and has to land. 
The crew lines up with the runway lights and makes a pass, and that's standard practice. After two passes, the pilots turn around and start preparing for the trickiest landing they have ever performed. It is 30 minutes past midnight when the Douglas finally lands. It's a great relief. No damage and no injuries, and the mud served as perfect breaks. Crew and people of Albury went to town to have a few hours of sleep. Pilot Moll would later say that it was a God-given miracle it turned out so well. They should have crashed somewhere in the middle of Australian nowhere, with nobody knowing where they were. The next morning, the people of Albury helped to get the plane out of the mud. As every pilot knows, landing on a short runway is one thing, taking off of it is something different. The crew decided to leave the passengers, all cargo, and even a navigator and a mechanic behind, increasing the chances of taking off without hitting the fence on the far end of the racetrack. Later that day, the Douglas reached Melbourne, taking second place behind the Comet of Scott and Campbell Black, securing the win in the handicap race. The Boeing of Pangborn and Turner came in third. This was exactly what McPherson Robinson wanted. The speed race was won by a specially built speedy airplane, but the two coaches of the sky were not far behind. The runner-up even carried paying passengers for the majority of the trip. The pilots looked sharp in their suits and hats and showed great confidence. Some would say they personalized the professional airline pilot. This result would open new opportunities for intercontinental commercial aviation. The KLM Douglas had shown that such a long journey could be flown comfortably and quickly. And these were turbulent times. While the crews of the first three airplanes were received as heroes, the crews that came in later did not get such a reception. Most of Melbourne had already gotten back to normal. Young Jimmy Melrose came in seventh after 10 days and 16 hours of flying. He was the only solo pilot to reach Melbourne. Hewitt, Kay and Stewart from New Zealand, on their shoestring budget, came in ninth after 14 days of racing. Well done. Over the course of November, two more planes would arrive at Melbourne. Nine out of 20 planes retiring and two casualties showed the dangers involved in flying those days. To add to that, the Douglas that competed in the race crashed only one month after the race. The captain did not want to fly because of bad weather, but the KLM director threatened to fire him. So he went and he was never seen again alive. Jimmy Melrose and Tom Campbell Black lost their lives in aviation accidents as soon as 1936. Many other competitors would lose their lives in aviation accidents in the decades that followed. This is the end of my report of the McPherson Robertson Air Race. I'd like to finish this episode on a positive note with a few trivia on the Douglas plane. I know that some of the PTUK listeners love these trivia. Here are a few interesting but equally unimportant things to know. The KLM Douglas was called the Uiver. In those days, all KLM planes carried the name of a bird. The planes were named in alphabetical order, starting with the Albatross and then through Pelican up to the U of Uiver. Uiver is Eastern Dutch dialect for Ooyevaar, which means stork. The registration of the KLM Douglas was Papa Hotel Alpha Juliet Uniform, and Papa Hotel stands for Holland, where Alpha Juliet Uniform is again. Eastern Dutch dialect and this time it stands for bye-bye. The DC-2 was never a money-generating airplane for the airlines. The DC-3, with its wider fuselage and more powerful engines, would be the first airplane that would be profitable for a sort of mass air travel. 
The DC2 had 1 plus 1 seating and the DC3 had 1 plus 2 seating. And those extra paying passengers made the difference. In the 1980s the KLM bought one of two flying DC-2s and flew it from London to Melbourne. They made a three-hour documentary about the plane and race. That plane sits in the hangar at the Aviodrome Museum in Lelystad in the Netherlands. Bye bye. Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network. The Voices in Your Head dot com. The Plane Talking UK podcast is a voluntary project that aims to keep you informed with the latest aviation-related stories from news buyers across the globe. Producing our content does cost money, though. If you enjoy our show, why not help us keep on the air by making a donation towards the server and website hosting fees through PayPal. Any contributions would be greatly appreciated. Are you an Amazon user? If so, why not do your shopping through the link on our website? There's no cost to yourself, and Amazon pay us a small referral fee on qualifying purchases. To find out more about the show and to meet the team, take yourself to our website website www.plaintalkinguk.com or find us on facebook at facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk on twitter via at plaintalkinguk or get in touch via email on podcast at plaintalkinguk.com thanks Thanks for for listening. listening aviation media has long been the domain of the newspapers and magazines well not anymore I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran, and we're bringing aviation right into your radio. Yes, we're making aviation cool and interesting for everyone. Hang on, aviation's always been cool. Check this out. How cool is this? Grant, Grant, turn that down. Here at Plane Crazy Down Under, we've got pilots, engineers, air traffic controllers, industry leaders, even politicians dropping by to talk to us about the amazing world of aviation right here in Australia and occasionally in New Zealand as well. Wow, that's cooler than I thought, mate. Find us at planecrazydownunder.com, on iTunes, or lurking about on other people's podcasts just like this one. We've got crazy accents and lots of great aviation content. And we promise not to talk about the cricket. No, never. Not the cricket. Quack, 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 quack. <laughs> what is cricket anyhow? Something we win a lot. Oh, there oh. we go. <laughs> Honestly, up a bit. <laughs> Honestly, those guys are so rude. Honestly, I don't know, typical Australians, eh? <laughs> I love that segment. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I it's absolutely cracking, isn't it? Uh, right, okay, welcome back, everyone. Uh, Sure. Uh, seriously, thank you for um, uh, that that little part. You know, that three part series has just been absolutely fascinating to listen to. Thank you so much for taking the time to record it. Feel free to record us some more. <laughs> uh, well, thanks, uh, thanks, Matt. Uh, this uh, this is a story that uh, well fascinated me a lot, and it's mm. been in my head for years. And, yeah. Um, uh, I've been thinking of uh, recording it, and then postponing it, and then thinking again, and. Uh, I felt very, very relieved when I actually recorded it and when it uh, it was all sent to you guys. Well, and it's been a real privilege to play it out, so thank you ever so much for that, uh, Stuart. Uh, By the way, ladies and gentlemen, I I do need to just apologise. We've got a bit of a a weird wine coming from our desk that I've tried virtually everything to isolate, but uh, I'm I'm not getting anywhere with it. So uh, apologies to those uh, listening. We do have a bit of a wine that I can't do anything about, so humble apologies for that okay nev shall we um shall we move on and do the military yes uh, so if you're ready to do the uh, military bit matt yes i certainly am i'm ready to go are you ready Stuart? 
Yes, I'm ready. Here we go. Let's, let's go. This is from the uh, getsurrey.co.uk uh, uh, website. And uh, Surrey is a, a county just to the southwest of London, for those who don't know. And this is a bit of a fusion between uh, civil and military operations here because it says, see dramatic moment, fighter jet circle Heathrow bound it, plane after contact was lost with the flight. And, is this uh, another one of these sort of Daily Mail special horror stories, <laughs> is it? Yeah. Although they have resisted the temptation to use uppercase. Uh, uh, in, oh, in, wow. Wow, this is so, very exciting. So we, yeah. we are making <laughs> some progress. Here. We are truly honoured, yes. <laughs> and it says that the uh, Eurofighter typhoons were dispatched after the passenger plane from Mumbai to Heathrow lost contact as it flew over Germany. And uh, there's some uh, video footage here which Matt uh, might put up as well. It says that the, uh, the incredible footage shows the moment fighter jets were dispatched to intercept a passenger plane bound for Heathrow Airport after contact was lost with the flight and the uh, precautionary decision was made to send the aircraft uh, after the Jet Airways Boeing 777 plane lost contact with air traffic controllers as it flew over Germany and the footage was taken from another British Airways plane behind the passengers plane which set off from Mumbai on Thursday and shows the Eurofighter Typhoons shoot into the clouds alongside the plane and the plane with 330 passengers and 15 crew members made a safe landing at Heathrow Airport the uh, video was uploaded onto social media by Cirrus pilots who said the trailing British Airways plane captured the footage near Cologne, Germany. And I added that the uh, Jet Airways pilots saw the Eurofighters and after speaking over the emergency frequencies, the plane carried on to London. Jet Airways uh, spokesman said, contact between Jet Airways flight 9 Whiskey 118 from Mumbai to London Heathrow Airport and the local ATC was briefly lost whilst flying over German airspace. And communication was safely restored within a few minutes, but as a precaution, the German Air Force deployed its aircraft to ensure the safety of the flight and its guests. And that's a fairly standard procedure if uh, cockpit communications are lost for any length of time at all these days. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, while you were uh, reading that story, Nev, I've got the video playing, actually. I mean, as you say, I mean, it's it's obviously pretty standard procedure. I mean, you if you do lose tower, con, you know, communication with a tower and you can't get back to them, I mean, I, I mean, this, surely this is the most sensible thing to do, isn't it? Just to sort of intercept and see what's going on. Yes, I think since obviously 9-11 and even perhaps a bit before that, um, I think things have changed a lot. So people yeah. just uh, don't take any chances. At no, all absolutely. And, and, and let's be honest, who can blame them? Yeah. Indeed. OK. Next story for you, uh, Matt. Yes, indeed. On to the next story. And this is on... <laughs> it's uh, doddbuzz.com. And I know this story was actually sent to me by um, Jonathan Warner. So thank you to him for that. And the headline is, Sorry, sniffer fans. The WC135 isn't smelling Russian nukes. Uh, uh, the, the US Air Force's WC-135 Constant Phoenix aircraft, capable of detecting nuclear explosions, deployed to the United Kingdom last week for a routine mission, the service said on Wednesday. The Nuke Hunter plane, also known as the Sniffer, is on a pre-planned rotational deployment scheduled in advance, the Air Force spokeswoman Erica Yepsen told Military.com. The WC-135 regularly flies around the world for missions, uh, added Colonel Patrick Ryan 
Strider. Any of the reporting in terms of having another reason is not grounded in fact, the service's chief spokesman said. Uh, there has been ongoing speculation the US sent the detection aircraft to Europe after an alleged Russian nuclear test which caused radioactive leaks to spike in areas such as Norway, uh, according to Aviationist blog, uh, which first tracked the aircraft uh, back in the 17th of February. The aircraft belongs to the 45th Reconnaissance Squadron, 55th Operations Group at Offutt. Uh, Air Force Base in Nebraska. According to the French uh, Radio Protection and Nuclear Safety Institute, a research organization and environmental protection advocacy agency that tracks nuclear activity throughout the globe, uh, trace amounts of iodine 131 um, uh, and a radioscope, uh, sorry, a radio. Uh, I want to say radioscope, but I don't know if that's quite right, of iodine uh, that has a radioactive decay half-life of about eight days were detected in Norway, Finland, Poland, the Czech Republic, Germany, France and Spain throughout January. The presence of iodine-131 uh, is proof of a rather recent release, the organisation said. Uh, government agencies have not come forward to explain the radiation. Experts, however, say the leaks are not a mystery. Uh, scientist uh, Jade Lovell, the host of the TYT Network's SciIQ and executive pro uh, director of ReAgency, a PR firm that specialises in science storytelling, told the International Business Times UK that iodine-131 is not a mystery. It's released in low levels normally as part of nuclear power and since nuclear power is common throughout Europe it's not unusual to be able to detect trace amounts during certain types of weather, particularly the cold weather of a European winter, she told the newspaper. I would be expecting to see a lot more and more different kinds of radiation than just iodine-131 if it was a nuclear test, Lovell says. Uh, meanwhile, the Air Force also delivered AH-64 Apache helicopters to Ramstein airbase in Germany on Wednesday, according to a release from European Command. Air Mobility Command's C-5 Galaxy Transport aircraft are also expected to deliver UH-60 Blackhawks to Latvia by the end of the month for missions as part of Operations Atlantic Resolve, the release said. The helicopters will be maintained by the Army's 10th Combat Aviation Brigade to ensure we have additional combat firepower and support if needed at the time and place of our choosing, said the US Army Colonel Todd Bertlus, uh, that's the UCOM's Deputy Director of Logistics. The continued rapid and responsive logistics efforts of Operation Atlantic Resolve should assure our European allies in maintaining a Europe that is whole, free, prosperous and at peace, he said in a release. The Apaches from Fort Bliss in Texas and the Blackhawks from Fort Drum, New York will be part of a nine-month rotation under Atlantic Resolve, the US effort uh, launched in April 2014 to reassure partners and allies after Russians' incursions into I I Ukrainian ter territory and uh, annexation of Crimea. The army intends to use the helicopters throughout Germany, Latvia and Romania, the release said. So there we are. Comforting words for us all, I think. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Great. Um, superb. So, uh, Stuart, and the uh, final military uh, story is for you. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's a bit of a fun story. Yeah. And yeah, it is from forces.tv, yeah. and it says an RAF employee stole tornado jet fuel to fill up, fill up his van. 
As the former do. employee at an RAF base stole uh, 660 pounds of fuel from a tornado jet to fill up his van. Steve Coakley, 42, admit, admitted theft by employee after uh, being caught stealing waste aviation fuel from RAF Maum in Norfolk. Military police set up CCTV cameras for surveillance operation after being given an anonymous tip. And then Kings Lynn Magistrates Court. Yes, that's it. Yes. That's, yes, that's <laughs> yeah, just up the road from us. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know what that is. Uh, it's basically um, the, it's the town of Kings Lynn and their Magistrates Court, which is a law court, uh, basically. Okay. So, uh, okay. Yes. I mean, it's, it's a bit of a, a bit of an odd story, isn't it? Really. I mean, that they sort of boast that it is waste aviation fuel. I mean, I'm not entirely sure that it would run particularly well in a in a van. Um, <laughs> It's just, just a, well, it's a very bizarre. Story. As long as it's a, it's a diesel engine, I think it uh, it will work. Oh really? Oh wow! Well, that's 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 good. Yeah, very cleanly. I, I, I used uh, t to do a, a few uh, uh, flying lessons uh, long ago, and uh, those um, uh, those aircraft they had uh, modified diesel engines, and we uh, used uh, jet A1 fuel. So it is possible. Indeed, indeed. I should just say uh, uh, there's been some comment in the chat room and the fact that the squeaking going on in the background is the fact that the dog is uh, insisting on playing with his one of his toys while we're in the middle of recording the show, which is always very helpful. So he's just going round and round in circles at the moment. Uh, <laughs> bless him. Uh, anyway, all part of the fun. So, yes, so that is where we bring the military to a close. And uh, now that leaves one final item of business, gents, and that is to do with a certain meetup um, that we alluded to at the top of the show. Um, and I've got a great little video to, to play out for that. So um, yeah, do you, you want to just, give just us tee it up a bit yes, for please, us, mate. Stuart? Yes, give us a bit of background about uh, how you organised it and how we got there and all mm. that sort of thing. Absolutely, yeah, please do. Uh, well, it all started with uh, a Skype call from you, uh, Nev. I might have known oh, it'd be Nev's fault. Ah, Everything's sorry, Nev's yes, fault. Yeah. <laughs> Everything starts with uh, yeah, Nev. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And the funny thing is that, uh, uh, well, we um, uh, both at uh, more or less the same time were thinking about uh, organizing a new uh, meetup um, because, um, yeah, well, the, the last meetup was um, uh, three months uh, before that. It was in uh, November, the Omega Tau uh, oh, yes, meetup yes, in course, Amsterdam. Yeah. And then three months before that, it was the meetup at uh, Amsterdam Schiphol. And so... Yeah, I, th I think we both uh, felt it was uh, it was time again to see uh, each other and uh, to get the group together. So uh, we set a date, and um, uh, Nav bought his uh, airline tickets, and um, that's where it, uh, it all got uh, got started. And um, um, yeah, we uh, organized a, a small uh, Twitter chat room uh, to keep uh, everyone informed, and everyone who wanted to join um, was added to that group as well. And well. For us, it started on uh, uh, the Saturday. Started uh, quite early. Uh, I think uh, Tillman from Berlin. He was the first uh, to to wake up. Mm -hmm. uh, he had uh, the longest flight of all of us, and he was uh, arriving first at uh, Schiphol <laughs> at uh, seven fifteen in the morning. And well, I got up quite early myself uh, to uh, to be there to uh, uh, to welcome him. And by that time. And maybe, uh, well, quite a bit er earlier, uh, Nev was uh, awake as well. And he was having his breakfast at uh, the BA lounge at uh, Heathrow. It might, I might have known it would be a BA lounge, obviously. You know, actually, that, yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's yeah, I think that that's part of the fun of it. Uh, yeah. the, the flying, <laughs> that you totally, can yes. get to that lounge and have that, uh, that breakfast. Uh, yeah. Isn't that right, Nev? 
Yeah, that's the only reason I do it. Yeah, I hate the flying, it's just the breakfast. Yeah, yeah, you hate the meat up at the breakfast. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's all about the food. Yeah, Yeah. you'd make a great pilot by the sound of it, Nev, uh, (laughs) because what little I know about airline pilots, they all seem to be continuously eating. Or perhaps that's just Captain Al. I don't know. They they do, don't Uh, they? I I, uh, picked up quite a big delay actually coming into Skipholes. Very, very foggy. So, uh, what we did, we just pushed back off off the gate and uh, we shut the engines down. Mm. So, I'm saying saying it as though I was flying the plane, the captain and first officer. <laughs> did that and then uh, very kindly said to anyone if there's any um, uh, people that are interested in aviation on board if they'd like to come up and uh, have a chat on the flight deck very welcome oh to that, wow as we've got the engine shut down so yeah. uh, of course I'm up there before you can say knife yes. Boom. and um, yes. <laughs> I uh, spent 10 minutes talking to the uh, uh, the captain and first officer so hopefully wow. we've got at least another two listeners uh, now at some fantastic. point uh, which was uh, fantastic Good. and um, uh, and then, uh, yeah, we arrived actually probably about 50 minutes late in the end, but that was all yeah. due to, to the fog and what happened. Uh, but, the, the, uh, they're saying in the chat room here, Nev, by the way, that the pictures you posted from the uh, the, the uh, BA lounge um, about the, uh, the, you know, with the bacon rolls and stuff is making everyone very hungry in the chat room. Yes, I'm not surprised, and that they were very good. But um, yeah. anyway, so we had a, 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 was it nine of us, uh, Stuart, in the end that, that came? It was, it was a yes, in the end, number, some, uh, some went uh, directly to uh, Lelystad and uh, mm. some, uh, like, uh, Masha, and uh, Reinhardt uh, joined us uh, at uh, Schiphol mm-hmm. and we had a train uh, journey together and yeah um, we at the museum uh, I thought well let's let's have a quick tour uh, around uh, the museum yep. um, yeah you are in a museum so you want to see things too right yeah but and then uh, have lunch and then do the recordings and then yeah just see what happens okay. we were a bit uh, delayed and uh, but the quick tour, uh, well, of course, with uh, some F geeks in a museum, an aviation museum, that's that's not going to happen. So no, 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 I was no. um, uh, pushing a little bit, and well, essentially just waiting for everyone to get hungry. Yeah. And then, uh, <laughs> so we skipped uh, the outside part. We did only did the inside part, and uh, then we had lunch and um, we did the recordings, and then afterwards we did uh, the outside part as well. Yeah. Okay. Well, you you mentioned the the, the meetup and the recording there, so uh, I think that sounds like a good time to 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 play uh, said video out. So uh, here we go, guys. Uh, this was everyone from the meetup. Uh, thanks very much, Nev, as always, for uh, editing said video and getting it out to me here. And uh, here it comes now. So this is the Lely, the the Lelystad Museum meetup. Hello, Carlos, and hello, Matt. Uh, very warm welcome from the Aviodrome Aviation Museum in Lelystad in the Netherlands. This is the um, APG, PTUK and uh, Plane Safety Podcast meetup with all your favorite listeners. Um, we're standing here on a bit of elevated grassland um, at the tail section of a Fokker 100 that was used by KLM but was kindly donated to the museum. And yes, I'm saying Fokker. It's the Dutch pronunciation. It's not the American Fokker. It's Fokker. So don't forget it's Fokker and it has nothing to do with uh, popular swear words where other words for uh, mummy are involved so this is a plain talking uh, podcast and we decided we will uh, talk a little bit about our favorite plane in this uh, museum Uh, I'll start and for me it will be the Douglas DC2 we haven't yet seen it it's in a different hangar but uh, after this uh, recording session we will uh, go and see it it's uh, it's a DC-2, it's a predecessor of a DC-3, a very nice uh, aluminium uh, airframe and I think it's one of the most beautiful planes ever built. 
Um, I'm going to pass the microphone to Myla now. Hi everyone. Um, so we're talking a little bit about our favorite thing at the museum. And one of my favorite things at the museum that I didn't really think I would like so much, but I do, is actually um, the fact that there's so much to see that doesn't actually relate to the aircraft itself, except that it does. Um, my favorite thing would be, okay, let me, let me try and get that um, out there. Uh, my favorite thing would be that actually in the 1930s, KLM used to carry silver cutlery on board for their passengers. And I never really thought about that, but they were displaying it here. And so for every passenger, they had a set of cutlery on board uh, that was actually silver and it was inside a box. So, you know, that made me think about how weight would get, you know, pretty heavy if you had to do that for everybody. So I really like to see that and I enjoyed it in the, in the museum and it has lots of more different fun things. So it's really worth a visit. And uh, here comes Masha. Hi guys. Uh, it's hard to pick one of my, like, one favorite thing of in the whole museum. Uh, I think, well, a lot of uh, geeks will mention certain aircraft that are in the museum, but actually one of the things I really like is that they have a lot of, of miniature models of uh, a lot of uh, aircraft in the museum. And they have, uh, like, uh, uh, a diorama of uh, Schiphol, as it used to be, like uh, many years ago with all the uh, with the replicas of uh, uh, the kind of aircrafts that uh, they used to be and it's just really nice to see uh, to see all that. Hi everyone, I like best that all the aircraft here are in quite good shape and especially the Super Constellation and the DC-3 both wearing KLM colors I quite liked a lot and the Super Constellation has a special thing, it still could fly if they could pay the insurance and could find pilots to fly them because the, we noticed the engines had uh, pans below them collecting the oil dripping and they told us they do regular maintenance on the uh, engines. I quite like that. I must say I find it very hard to name a thing that uh, that's yeah, impressed me the most um, because there's so much to see here, so much nice things to see. One of the things that um, I didn't really think I would be impressed by because I've seen it so many times, but uh, the 747 outside, if you walk underneath uh, yeah, the belly of the beast, it's, it's just still really impressive to see. So that's yeah, one of the things that uh, really stick with me. So this is Robert and well, there are many beautiful planes here, but I think one of the things that impressed me quite a bit is actually the old terminal building of Schiphol Airport from the 1930s. It's really a period piece and you could, you know, just film a whatever 1930s period movie here and I, I really like to see this uh, in addition to all the planes of course. I really like the museum, everything in here is really nice, but I personally had my educational moment this morning already when I came flying in on KLM and I learned later on that KLM actually has the best coffee in the industry and that's really important <laughs> at 6 in the morning. <laughs> so true.
Very true. Hello, Nev here. And uh, yeah, it's uh, my glasses have gone dark because the sun has come out. And that's uh, a nice change because it was very misty when we arrived uh, earlier today. Uh, my favourite is actually the same. It's the KLM 747. You don't really uh, understand the scale of it until you actually see it and get underneath it near where the uh, body gear is and the wing gear. Absolutely incredible. But uh, yeah, really impressive. Very nice museum and very nicely presented as well. Hi there, it's Reinhard here, aka Dr. Jetwine on Twitter. Um, uh, my favorite piece of this museum is absolutely the Boeing 747-300 that uh, has been put up here. Um, this is the airplane, uh, an exact airframe that sparked my uh, passion for aviation when I was, uh, I think I was nine years old. Um, and it's quite functional uh, even now. All the electrics are running, the cockpit instruments are um, are on, and it looks like as if you could you could just fly away with it. Uh, of course, after uh, they uh, they extended the landing uh, the runway here. Um, <laughs> yes, that's my favorite, absolutely my favorite part of the museum over here. Uh, should I give the mic back to you? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, a few closing words. Uh, thank you very much for your podcasts and uh, your um, piece in uh, creating this uh, awesome community. Uh, because um, if it weren't for your podcast and the APG, I think we would never have met and we would never be here as a group and having a good time together. So thank you very much and um, well, see you in uh, lots of uh, podcasts uh, to come. Bye bye. Oh, cheers. Oh, that, what a lovely little video that was, guys. Thank you so very much. And, and, and thank you guys for sort of like taking the time um, to, to actually make uh, videos and things and send them in to us because it, it is the listener feedback and things that makes um, uh, all of the shows, uh, including APG and ourselves and um, um, the uh, Airplane Geeks and everything. It's that interaction um, between everybody that, that, that makes it so wonderful. No, so, so thank you very much, guys. for uh You're very welcome, Matt. And uh, yeah, we, we really enjoyed doing it. And uh, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a great experience. And, and the nice thing was that, that all that fog had cleared as well. So the yeah, weather was beautiful, as you, as you could see. So it, uh, it was a bit chilly, but actually it was very, very sunny as well. Mm. So it was uh, really nice. Yeah, no, it was great. It was great. Thanks ever so much. Yeah, and, and obviously thanks, Stuart, for organizing it all, of course. Yeah, the the thing is that uh, I think it was uh, Andy from the UK. He w he really planned to uh, to fly into yeah. uh, Lelystad, but um, he was uh, held up on the on the ground oh, by, right, yeah. because of uh, bad weather in the UK. Yes, that's right. And then we showed him uh, a few pictures of uh, the weather in uh, in at, at Lelystad, and that was before this uh, this all um, this uh, this this meetup thing. And well, we decided that uh, the risk was too high and uh, it wouldn't pay off. Yeah, not, not and, and that is it is a bit um, a bit uh, uh, mixed feelings uh, to see that uh, that we did the recording at uh, with a, a bit little bit of very good weather. Yes, <laughs> and that he wasn't able to make it. That no. uh, it it just didn't work out. Oh well, it, uh, hopefully there will be other times though, of course. So, yep. uh, but no. And thank there's you. one one last thing I'd like to say, and that is a uh, big thanks to uh, to Nev for um, editing the video yeah. and uh, making it all uh, look 
great. It does look great. Yeah. No, no, well, I, I expect nothing less of of uh, oh. Nev from NevTech at Tech. If I'm completely <laughs> honest, uh, so I would have been very disappointed if it had been rubbish. To be honest with you, shirt. I'm not going to lie. I was I was expecting great things from the outset, but then I'm like that. So well, that's <laughs> very nice of you, gents. That's uh, smashing. But uh, yeah, I really enjoyed uh, putting it together, and uh, it's nice that we can share it with uh, the rest of the aviation community. Well, and, and that it's absolutely my pleasure to be able to just press a few buttons here and make that happen. So uh, yeah, yeah uh, that is. Well, we we have. So, so it appears that we have successfully survived episode mm. 153 without Carlos. This is very, very exciting and or glorious news. Uh, I'm going to, as we bring the episode to a close, I'm going to pop out to the shops in the morning, buy Carlos a diary and staple to it, staple it to his forehead and make him use it. Um, and uh, yeah, that's it. All I can say, guys, is thank you so very much for joining me and making what was otherwise going to be a very terrifying experience thoroughly enjoyable. So thank you very much for joining uh, me here. Uh, this evening. Uh, so uh, a few words from you, Stuart, before we close. Yes. Um, well, it was a pleasure uh, joining you guys. And um, I'd like to wish uh, each and everyone a very nice weekend. Fantastic. Thanks, Stuart. And uh, Nev, our host for today, any final words? Yeah, that's very nice, Matt. Thanks very much, indeed. And thank you again, Stuart, for all the effort you put in uh, for the uh, meetup. It was fantastic. Uh, a bit of self-promotion, if I'm oh, allowed. Oh, of course, yes. Very yes not yourself I've out, now yes. put up my own website, uh, which is called uh, www.nevtech.org.uk. Yeah. And there's a bit of aviation stuff in there, and I'll fantastic. be adding to it uh, as I do more and more of my uh, aviation adventures. So uh, you can follow me on that. Uh, yeah, and as, like. as long as, as along with um, uh, Matty Fab's uh, YouTube videos, I will obviously include that URL in yeah. our show notes as well. So uh, thanks, yeah. guys. Uh, well, thank you very much for making one uh, one five three such a great success. So hopefully, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you know faux pas aside, uh, the legend that is Carlos Stebbings will be joining me back in the studio. I presume in the kitchen studio for normal mm. service. Uh, for do we uh, do we need him back though? Really. Well, uh, I do personally. No, <laughs> absolutely, it's far too terrifying. I can't. I can't go through this again. But no, seriously, Nev, you've done a as a super sub. You have absolutely nailed it as I expected. So thank you very much, and thank you, Stuart, for all your great uh, contributions. And again, thanks for organising such a great meetup. And uh, that's it. That's where we bring episode number one hundred and fifty-three to a close all it leaves me to say is uh, thanks guys and uh, yes all being well we'll see you all next week from all of us here in our various studios it is bye bye cheers bye 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 <laughs>